You're listening to Threads Radio. My name's Luke Fraser, and this is The Tonic.
two pieces from William Walton's Henry V Suite from 1944. That was Passacalia and Touch Her Soft Lips and Part. And no, you haven't tuned into Scala Radio or Classic FM. And yes, that second piece was apparently played at Kate and William's wedding, or so I've heard. But, you know, I just really like both of those pieces. It's one of the hoariest cliches to say that music gives goosebumps. I don't think that's ever literally happened to me. Uh, maybe I'm strange like that. But these pieces get pretty darn close to what I imagine people mean when they say that. William Walton, a known name of course, but not as well known as Vaughan Williams, Elgar and Holst. And to me, he's the more interesting out of the bunch. If you haven't heard them, I highly recommend his viola and violin concertos. Maybe just a little bit too long for this show, but such great and underrated pieces. Anyhow, Henry V was a Technicolor epic directed by and starring Laurence Olivier, for which he won an honorary Oscar. It was one of 13 film scores Walton made in his lifetime, and perhaps unlike several other composers of that era, he was pretty successful at doing them. The music has been described as his own take on several old genres, and Pasacalias are believed to have originated in 17th century Spain, and really they're typified by being in three-time, and featuring what's often called a ground bass, or ostinato, which is really just a repeating bass line over which the piece evolves texturally. And because the bass is the same, the implied harmonies are largely the same, Pasacalias can often, for that reason, I think, sound much more modern to our ears, in terms of their repetitiveness, than other dance forms of the Baroque era, which are more through-composed, or basically non-repeating. And I guess Touch Her Soft Lips in Part has probably become Walton's calling card, though I'm not quite sure what he would have made of that. Hard to describe it without reaching again for that menu of hoary cliches or superlatives, so I think I'll just leave it at that. The version you heard there was arranged by Malcolm Sargent in 1945 and was performed by the English Chamber Orchestra, conducted by Daniel Barenboim, and featured on the album Vaughan Williams, Fantasia on Greensleeves, etc., released on Deutsch Grammophon back in 1993. Next, some songs that I've wanted to play since starting this show, and why haven't I got round to it until now? No idea, but better late than never.
love those. That was the Bulgarian State Female Television Choir, aka Le Mystère de Voir Bulgare, under the direction of Marcel Cellier. You heard their five songs in order, The Evening Gathering, The Wedding, Love Song, Song of Shopsko, and The Bleating Lamb. So back in the late 80s, fans of off-kilter guitar bands such as the Pixies and Bauhaus that were released on Ivo Watts Russell's 4AD label were suddenly presented with the music you've just heard on an album going under the name of Le Mystère de Voix Bulgare. Not a little bit of a non-sequitur, you might think. But in any case, the fact was that Watts Russell had come across those recordings on an earlier release put out by the Swiss ethnomusicologist Marcel Cellier back in the 70s on his own Disc Cellier label, and apparently became completely transfixed by them. He tracked down Cellier, who agreed to license the music to Watts Russell for his own re-release. Non sequitur or not, the indie kids who encountered the record, or perhaps more accurately their parents, ensured a wide commercial success for the album and several subsequent ones that were later released. I think it's up to volume four now. And the Bulgarian state television female choir have themselves reached a worldwide audience, still performing globally to this day. Naturally, of course, they've collaborated with everyone, from Kate Bush to Drake and now Wycliffe. Of course they have. So what is this mystère? Well, those songs, as far as I can gather, are all traditional Bulgarian, and they seem to have been harmonised almost intuitively by the choir. Though what's also not a little bit mysterious to me is Marcel Cellier's exact involvement in the project and to what extent he may have arranged any of the material. They feature what is called diaphonic singing, which as far as I can understand is a form of syllabic singing common in Slavic and Balkan musics. But there's also a lot of quite acerbic dissonance set there against otherwise modal harmonies. I have to say, not having known about this record until I came across it about 15 years ago, I think I was struck much in the same way as Ivo Watts Russell must have been. It's just some incredibly raw and powerful music, and what I find so interesting about it is the way it manages to couple such immediacy with not being in any way simplistic or one-dimensional. That for me is really such a rare achievement, and to use one of the most awful words that can possibly be pressed into service in the name of music, it communicates a real sense of purity. Well, there, I said it. So be it. That was released, as mentioned, on Le Mystère de Voile Bagarre, Volume 1, put out variously on Disc Cellier, 4AD, and None Such. The Disc Cellier was released in 75, and the 4AD in 1986.
Epitetus Vasque's Planescapes from 2012. So if that music maybe reminds you a little bit of Arvo Pet, as it does for me, you're at least in the right geographical region. Vasque's is Latvian and comes from a Baptist family, though he pursued most of his studies in neighbouring Lithuania due to Soviet oppression of Baptists during his upbringing. Alongside religious subject matter, a lot of his music seems to be about environmental issues, with the environment either being idealised and pristine, or else threatened and degraded. And this piece, Planescapes, presumably falls into the first category. The plains of the title are a dominant feature of the Latvian countryside, but I don't think as far as I'm aware that the piece is much more specifically programmatic than this. It's made up of three vocalises, or choral sections, separated by interludes on the violin and cello, and I really like the use of the choir with their slow-moving homophonic or block harmonies set against the pattern play of the two soloists that I think must owe something of a debt to the tintinabulation technique developed by Arvo Pert. That was performed by the Latvian Radio Choir, conducted by Sigvard's Klava, and featuring Guna Albertina on cello and Sandis Steinberg's on violin. And that was taken from the album of the same name, Planescapes, released on Ondine in 2012. And now for something a little bit in the style suggested by a certain Monty Python introduction.
Well, that was a bit of fun. That was Matthew Wright's Nocturne for BJM, written in 2003. I'm not totally sure it really goes anywhere, but it has an immediately ear-catching texture, uh, not one that I can think of really having heard anywhere else. Those overdubbed, are they overdubbed? High saxophone squeals, the drums, those thin-held synth notes, and the random angular guitar stabs. What's all that about, I wonder? Well, what I do know is it's a mixture of improvised and pre-composed elements, and that this approach has been quite key to Matthew Wright's style. And in this piece, it seems to be coming together in the service of what is fundamentally a texture or sonic object, if you like. Matthew Wright is British. I think he teaches at Canterbury and also at Stanford in the US, and he's got a pretty wide-ranging CV. He describes himself as a media systems designer. I think he does a lot of work with algorithmic software manipulation of live instruments, blurring the line between performer and machine. And he's closely involved as well in the improvisation scene, having frequently collaborated with the likes of legends such as Evan Parker. I do really quite like the freewheeling energy and at the same time structuralism of the pieces on the album from which that comes. It's called Music at the Edge of Collapse and is performed by the Dutch ensemble Klang, put out on their label Ensemble Klang Records in 2010. So next, one to listen to in the magic hour, of a California sunset, definitely not a rainy October in London. This is Phil Harmonic. Okay, we can start now. Okay, we can start now.
change now.
The hypnotic stylings of the enigmatic Phil Harmonic and his piece Timing from, I think, 1979. So who is Phil Harmonic? Well, real name, Kenneth Werner. Not to be confused with the jazz pianist and theorist of the same name. He was a native of Newton, Massachusetts, who became enamoured with Fluxus and Cage in the 60s and went on to work in New York, notably collaborating with the Sonic Arts Union that I've talked about a bit before on this show with David Berman, Alvin Lucier, Gordon Mummer, and Robert Ashley. I actually came across this piece because I was looking for something to play by the avant-garde pianist and composer Blue Jean Tyranny, whose album, just for the record, this piece appears on. So it's Blue Jean playing the two overdubbed organs, with Phil Harmonic providing the vocal directions, with each organ and vocal part being mixed to each of the two stereo channels. And there's just something I find deeply soothing about this piece. I think it's the combination of the chords with that calm and reassuring intonation of the instruction to change now. One to play at the very end of a night. So what's it doing in the middle of this show then? No idea really. 
Oh, and I will play something by Blue June at some point in the near future. As mentioned, that was put out on Just for the Record by Blue Jean Tyranny on Lovely Music in 1979.
two of the parts there from Annie Lockwood's A Sound Map of the Hudson River from 1982. That was Garrison and Iona Island and Marsh. They're parts 12 and 13, respectively, of an overall 15-part work, tracing a journey in which she went from the source of the river up in the Adirondacks down to the Lower Bay and Staten Island, NYC. I played David Tudor's Rainforest a few months ago, and whilst that functions as an environmental sound piece in the sense of it being a composed or constructed collage within an installation space, this is very much found sound or sound art, call it what you like, in the guise of a sound walk, and it functions both as a standalone record and as an installation. It's somewhat of a classic in any case. She was doing this stuff back in the 70s and 80s, so a long time before a lot of others followed suit. And it's also the first, I believe, of three pieces she made centered around rivers. More recently, she's made one tracing the Danube. I find it interesting to speculate with work such as this to what extent the compositional hand has had a play in what we hear. Annie Lockwood is credited as mixing as well as recording the sound, but there's also the presentation of the tracks, their sequencing, and the way she spliced them together and possibly spliced within them as well to create a sense of narrative that, to be honest, you only start to get a sense of once you listen to the whole work. It's about 70 minutes, and worth it, I'd say, for the space it can put you in once you spend time with it. And I've also got to say, it's just got great relevance as a kind of original whole food antidote to the droves of pappy, nature-themed, chill-out and meditation CDs, Spotify playlists, and so on, that seem to be everywhere these days. Where the recordings are often shorn of any context, you have no idea what part or parts of the world the sounds you are listening to come from. And Annie Lockwood's work is by contrast wholly embodied in the locations in which it occurs. So as mentioned, the album is a sound map of the Hudson River, and that was released on Lovely Music in 1989.
with the title taken from Keats's Song for a Nightingale, that's Of Shadows Numberless, written in 1966 by Miriam Gideon, a US composer active from the late 40s through to her death in the mid-90s. It's a piece concerned with the 19th century trope of the bird as stand-in for the poet, and it contains some rather evocative movement titles, such as The Murmurous Haunt of Flies on Summer Eves, and White Hawthorn and the Pastoral Eglantine. Personally, I can sometimes find it a bit hard to attune myself with the sensibilities of romantic poets, certainly when they're viewed from the often seemingly dystopian perspective of the urban 21st century. But at any rate, I do like the notes in this piece. It's evocative and a little knotty, music full of shadows and mazes, as one description of it runs. And it seems poised interestingly between a lyrical, melodic style and an atonal one that recalls a little bit to me the music of Alban Berg. That was performed by Jeremy Siskin on piano, recorded at Spectrum NYC in 2016. I don't think it's been released, but it was put out on the American Composers Alliance YouTube channel.
love the sound world of that perhaps a little bit surprisingly to me considering it contains such a prominent solo for oboe god forbid but really it's just got such beautiful synth sounds that's solaris written in 1988 by the brazilian composer josie de Oliveira, and that's taken from her opera inori a prostituta sagrada premiered in 1993 and inspired by dh lawrence's the man who died josie de Oliveira has said that it's centered on the woman and her ideals, 
and is set on any given planet at any time and in any given space. So it explores the tropes of the sacred prostitute and the enlightenment she brings to men. And there's some footage of it floating around online. Pretty hot-bloodedly Latin stuff, let me tell you. And the movement you heard there has this extremely sensual quality to it, performed by Ricardo Rodriguez on oboe, with Josie de Oliveira doing the electronics. And I think she's doing some kind of synth pitch tracking of the oboe in perhaps a similar way to that of David Berman in his piece All Thumbs that I played a few shows back, creating this lovely texture that weaves in echoes between the oboe and the electronics. And the recording there was taken from a torrent known somewhat grandly as the History of Electronic Music, clocking in at some 476 pieces or over 70 odd CDs. And it was doing the rounds online about 10 or 15 years ago, having been supposedly compiled by a Brazilian student. So I don't know if and where that version was originally released, but it has also been released in a different version, I think, on the album Inoria Prostituta Sacrada, uh, on the label RER Megacorp in 1993. So now closing out this show is a tribute to Gia Cancelli, who died a couple of weeks ago. This is his Mourned by the Wind.
the slow, dark fire of the first movement of Mourned by the Wind, written in 1989 by Gia Cancelli, who died a couple of weeks ago. Also titled Liturgy, that piece is in itself a tribute to the musicologist Givi Ordozonitske, who was a close friend of Cancelli and one of his strongest supporters. So Gia Cancelli, Georgian, born in Tbilisi, but he spent most of his life, I believe, living in Belgium. He rose to wider prominence in the 80s and 90s after being championed by the likes of soloists Matislav Rostropovich, Gidon Kramer and Kim Kashkashian. He wrote quite a lot of film music and a cycle of very well-regarded symphonies quite early on in his career. So this piece, I guess, comes in what is a middle-late period for him. His style has become recognisable as a sparse and austere take on neotonality or modalism, which nevertheless occasionally erupts in these moments of greater expression. And this can be heard to an extent in the climax of the movement you just heard there towards the end. And both this piece and his music in general seem to play quite subtly with the expressive load inherent in their material. To me, they teeter quite close to the brink of what might be termed emotional string pulling, but always tastefully pull back. And it's very nicely controlled performance there by the Russian State Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Valeria Polanski and featuring Alexander Ivashkin on cello. That was taken from the album Simi and Mourned by the Wind, released on Chandos in 2005. And that's it for another episode of The Tonic. Thanks to everyone at Threads for hosting. I will be back between 10 and 12 GMT on Wednesday the 27th of November. I'm Luke Fraser. Thanks for listening.